SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. Hour number two of Cover It with Teddy Covers begins right now. Hey guys, welcome back. In this hour, I'm going to bring in Ralph Michaels, the king of TNA, trends and angles when it comes to breaking down a database to find stuff that works betting-wise and stuff that doesn't, systems that work, systems that don't, trends that work, trends that don't, angles that work, angles that don't. Ralph Michaels is my go-to guy because he works the database as well as anybody I've ever met tracking down the angles that don't necessarily apply to specific teams. League-wide angles, college basketball-wide angles, incidentally tournament angles. So I'm excited to see what Ralph is going to bring to the table. But before we get into more Sweet 16 talk, I promised on every single show we're going to talk NFL. Why? Because NFL is king for betters. <laughs> it's just that simple. No sport more popular year-round than the NFL. I'll put it to you this way. In the middle of March Madness, in the middle of the NBA, here's MLB getting ready to start their season. And yet, what are the headlines? The headlines are this free agent signing, that free agent signing, the other free agent signing. NFL is king. When it comes to the sports books here in Las Vegas... Again, this was the thing that amazed me when I moved out here. Was, you know, back in Michigan, young men bet. You know, guys in their 20s, there were lots of bettors like me. But here in Las Vegas, when it comes to the NFL, I swear everybody bets. The school teachers bet. The old ladies bet. Your grandpa bets the NFL. It's just that much wider of a reach than any other sport. And that's why we talk about NFL even in the middle of March Madness. And the first thing we have to talk about, of course, is the Chicago Bears announcing that Andy Dalton was going to be their starting quarterback and thinking that somehow that was an upgrade over anybody, (laughs) whether it was Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky or whoever else. Now, look, Andy Dalton was, I guess, serviceable is the word to use for what he did in Dallas last year. He went into a good system with a whole bunch of weapons and a strong offensive line. And he was serviceable. He didn't win games for the Cowboys, much the way he didn't win any games for the Bengals when it came to the postseason. We're talking about an Asian QB whose skill set was partially defined by his mobility in the pocket. Back when he was younger, he doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have a big arm. He doesn't have great weapons to throw to. And yet... The Bears convinced $10 million, we made our move, we made our deal. If you're a Chicago fan, my condolences. (laughs) I mean, what else do you say? If management can seriously look in the mirror and say, yeah, Andy Dalton's the QB that's going to bring us to the Super Bowl, you'll see. And throw in some of the other things that have happened to the Bears this offseason in terms of losing key defensive talent. I mean, Chicago looks like uh, more like Detroit uh, than they do like Minnesota or Green Bay uh, at the top of that division. What about the Patriots? Bring in Hunter Henry, bring in Johnu Smith, bring in Nelson Aguilar, bring in Kendrick Bourne, bring in Matthew Judon, bring in Jalen Mills. This is a Patriots team that has never at any point 
in the Bill Belichick era have gone on a free agent spending spree like this. They haven't done it. Why this year? And does it make New England better? Well, of course it makes them better. They're bringing in key guys. And this is a team that legitimately had no passing game last year that need and needed and maybe still needs additional weapons uh, for Cam Newton to throw to. But it's also a Patriots team that had a boatload of salary cap money. And it's a Patriots organization that understands the long-term implications of these signings. Meaning that this year, salary cap's not what uh, they thought it was going to be a year or two ago. It's down. But with the new contracts that the NFL just signed next year, the year after, the year after, salary cap's going up in a big way. So what looked like potentially crippling free agent signings, putting throwing all this money at all these different guys, where you say, boy, they're going to be locked up and up against the cap for the next couple of years. No, they won't, because the Patriots are expecting that cap to go up significantly. And they're doing that move. You know, they're, they're making these moves because they've seen the dollars. They figured out the dollars. So New England's certainly going to be better than it was, than they were a year ago. Kenny Galladay to the Giants, a weapon for Danny Dimes. Galladay's one of these guys. I remember watching him in preseason. Had to be three. Might have been his rookie year. Maybe his, I think it was his second year in the league. His rookie year didn't do much. In the preseason, I'm like, oh, my God, who do the Lions have? They got this weapon, and then he got hurt, and he never lived up to expectations. Um, he showed signs. But Kenny Galladay's got hands like you wouldn't believe. He makes the Giants better right away. But Cleveland bringing in John Johnson. Um, I love the moves Cleveland has made this offseason. The Browns, to me, look like a team. You know, Johnson uh, comes in as, uh, at safety, and you put, bring in Troy Hill uh, at the corner on the other side of Denzel Ward. You have Malik Jackson bringing in depth at, uh, defensive tackle. You have Takaris McKinley uh, helping replace Oliver Vernon. Uh, Amaka Smith and Anthony Walker coming into the linebacking core. This is a team that had a top 10 offense. With the free agent signings the Browns just made, might have a top 10 defense, too. Cleveland, to me, looks pretty scary, at least on paper. So there's some of the moves worth noting about. I love Ryan Fitzpatrick to Washington. Maybe they draft a quarterback. Maybe they don't. But bringing in Fitz means they don't have to. The Washington football team might be someone that has upside moving forward. All right. There's a little NFL talk. More Sweet 16 talk coming up after the break. Ralph Michael will join us. Stay tuned. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. To cover it with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And I'm going to bring in veteran Las Vegas handicapper Ralph Michaels to the show right now. And Ralph, we're going to talk Sweet 16, but I just finished talking NFL. I want to ask you, when it comes to, what are we now, late March? Have you done any NFL offseason work yet or is it still too soon for that sort of thing? Teddy, I start the process right after the Super Bowl. And to me, the NFL is the most analytical 
sport to handicap. From 1 to 32, we have such a small margin. And, yes, we saw that margin expand a little bit over those last two years with some teams playing very poorly down the road. But, really, when you look at top to bottom, going back to my North Coast sports days, there are certainly some things that I look at automatically which gives my up-downs a start towards the next season. Well, the let's first talk about most, that. Oh, the, you know, the I... first and most important, Teddy, takeaways and turnovers. You know, uh, there's an article we did in Phil Steele's NFL preview annually. When a team is plus nine or more turnovers, they fall back in their record over 63% of the time. When a team is minus 10 or more turnovers, they improve in their record by over 75% of the time. So let's glance at those teams, those top and bottom teams, Tennessee, Indianapolis, New Orleans, Miami, and Pittsburgh were all plus nine turnovers or more. So expect some regression. Those teams on the bottom, Philadelphia, Las Vegas, San Francisco, and Denver were from minus 10 all the way to minus 16 for Denver. No team in the NFL has ever had 13 or more turnovers being 13 or more net negative turnovers and not improved. So you can have an expectation built in instantly just from the turnover category. Yeah, I look at Denver as a nice little sleeper uh, for next year. Uh, I really, I'm a Fangio fan. Uh, and you look at the pieces in place for the Broncos, you look at that turnover differential a year ago, and you say maybe Denver uh, can be a playoff contender in 2021. They're a team I've got my eye on. And I also like this Cleveland Browns team. I just talked about some of the moves the Browns made in free agency. They made a bunch on the defense side of the football. That was a top 10 offense last year. They're going to have a top 10 defense as well this year. Denver, Cleveland, either of those teams float your boat or anyone else that you've got your eye on early. As, or again, we're real early in the process, but potential bet on or bet against teams for 2021. Well, the Browns clearly are a bet on team for me. You know, one thing we have to look at, and we always talk about it at the end of an NFL season, a team that is healthy wins at the end of the year. Those teams that have had offensive linemen start every game. Those are the teams that are successful at the end of the year. Let me give you some of the top and bottom teams. A sleeper that I have my eye on is San Francisco. The 49ers were the most banged up team last year. Let's put it in perspective. They played 71 players on offense and defense, 34 on offense, 37 on defense. That means every first string player, every second string player, every third string player, and they went four players deep into their fourth string on defense. That's how banged up they were. Philadelphia, the number two team, 81 players used for the season. The healthiest team on the opposite side of the coin, remember, San Francisco used 71 players on offense and defense. The Rams had 49 players. They only played 22 players on offense. Every first string, every second string, they did not even have to use a third string player. They only used 27 players on defense. Now, there are times a team stays healthy one season to the next, but in the injury category, the Browns, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the San Francisco uh, 49ers get the three biggest check marks moving up for their injury-riddled seasons from a year ago. So that's three teams we can legitimately expect to improve in 2021. San Fran, 
Philadelphia, and Cleveland. And Cleveland already a pretty good team oh, last year. Um, yeah, but, again, we're way early in the process. But any Super Bowl sleepers you want to talk about? Any teams that you want to fade that you look at and say, boy, this team overachieved last year. The markets have just got them wrong coming into the campaign. Um, I guess that's two different questions. Super Bowl sleepers and number one fade. Well, one thing I also look at, Teddy, when we look at turnovers, when we look at injuries, I love looking at close wins and close losses because those things tend to even out. Now, a close win, I basically look at teams that finish within seven points of the final score. But I do discount any game where a team, let's say, allowed a final touchdown to get from 13 to 6 in the last minute of the game or last 10 seconds of the game. That, to me, is not a close loss. Kansas City this past year, I've been doing this chart for 18 years. No team has ever been plus nine net close wins on the season like the Chiefs were last year. They had nine close wins. They had zero close losses. The Steelers were amazing, plus five with seven and two. I look for a serious regression from Pittsburgh. And again, that's in a, in a position where we have Cleveland and Cincinnati also playing better, where the Steelers benefited from one of the weakest divisions. The Falcons are a team, I'm not going to go Super Bowl crazy, but they were minus seven close losses last year. They won one close game, they lost eight. They're a team I have in stepping up. My long shot, though, is, uh, is San Francisco. I like what they did. Um, I'm not sure I'm happy about the trade they made yesterday, Teddy. They traded, with, uh, they traded with Miami to move up to be the number third pick or fourth pick in the draft, which means they are certainly going to look for a quarterback. Um, you know, but I think they like a Garoppolo play. I don't think it's going to be a situation where a rookie is in. San Fran for me, Philadelphia number two. Washington is a team I have on the rise, and the Browns are the four I have up. Pittsburgh is a team I want to fade. The Rams, I think, are a team that I want to fade. And I'm also going to not pick Kansas City. It's hard to say that when you have a player like Mahomes, but the division is starting to catch up with them. And they're not going to be able to have that elite division-only record moving forward. And they really are going to become the hunted team in my mind. And there's two teams in that division that come in with major question marks on the offensive line. The Raiders go to their offensive line. And so did the Chiefs when it came to free agency. Two teams that have some rebuilding to do uh, up front. So I love talking NFL. We talk NFL all day, every day. And that comes uh, during football season. But... We got to talk a little MLB. You know, it starts this coming week. Do you have any bet on or bet against teams from the get-go? Any season win total opinions? Any World Series sleeper futures? Uh, give me a minute on baseball uh, as we approach uh, opening day this coming week. You know, the one thing I want to tell our listeners on when you're betting baseball futures is add up all the season win totals. I have found a huge variance where some sports book open up with the exact numbers you should have, 2,340 wins, meaning each game plays 162. There have some, been some sports books I found with over 42 games over what the season win totals can equal. They slant so many season win totals to the over. Why? 
simply when a team or a fan comes in from out of town and they're in the casino, they're going to bet that team to go over. So there's an astronomical number of over bets compared to unders. Obviously, the sharps are looking at the under. So number one, when you're betting at a book, add up all the season win totals and make sure they equal the correct number. Therefore, you know if there's added value on the unders. When I look at them, there's a couple that jump out to me this year. Um, well, let's do that after the break, Ralph, real quick, because we do have a break uh, coming up here. So before we get into some deep dive on baseball analysis with Ralph Myers, and I promise we're going to break down Sweet 16. Don't you worry. But a little bit more MLB with opening day on the way this coming week with Ralph Michaels coming up after the break. We'll be right back. Coverage continues here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Petty Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 204. Stay on the grid. I'm joined by the TNA man. Trends and angles, people. Please keep your mind out of the gutter. Ralph Michaels. And Ralph, before we get into Sweet 16 talk, we were talking a little MLB before the break. And I want to stay uh, on that theme, obviously, with opening day coming this week, people. <laughs> before next week's show, we'll have MLB opening day. Um, talk about teams that you've highlighted as potential bet on or bet against teams in MLB right from the get-go. Teddy, right before the break, we talked about some sports books having a significant more overs than could possibly occur based on what the numbers are if you add them all up. So obviously I look for unders, number one. And a couple of unders that popped out to me were the Texas Rangers, the Colorado Rockies, and the Astros. And I'm not going to get cute. When I look at teams like the Rangers, well, we know the Angels are going to be improved. We saw what the Mariners did last year with their roster. The Astros are the Astros, and the A's, you know, the A's are the superior team. When you're playing that type of division schedule, it's clearly uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overestimate it. People always look and say, okay, they made this change. That means they're better. They made this change. That's gonna be better. We know in baseball that is so far from the truth. When you have uh, Kyle Gibson as your number one starter, uh, that pretty much shows you <laughs> that it, you know it's a team I'm gonna fade. And the Rockies again. The Rockies are are just a team that we know what the Padres have done. We know we know what the Dodgers are going to do. You know, you add in the Giants and the Diamondbacks as your division foes. They're a team I'm fading. And Houston, I, I think we're still getting a feedback from Houston from a couple years ago. We didn't see the onslaught that they got from their cheating scandal with the abbreviated season. But, you know, I, 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 I feel they're still going to take another step down. So those are my three top underplays for the upcoming season. Rangers, Rockies, and Astros, all worthy of a fade coming into the 2021 campaign, says Ralph Michaels. Now, when it comes to World Series futures, I'm not a guy that's going to put a whole lot of money uh, on those wages. In general, I'm not putting a whole lot of money on 
odds to win the, whether it's the conference, whether it's the championship. Because when you make those bets, one team wins. And an MLB, let's say you're uh, odds to win the National League. One team's going to win. The other 14 teams are going to lose. you got to be really right. I've always preferred the season over under win total bets. No, they don't have the big scores. You don't get the 10 to 1 and 20 to 1 and 51 payouts. But they pay, and they pay every year if you bet them right. That said, I know many of our listeners are more inclined to bet some of the futures odds to win it all, odds to win the World Series. That's what recreational bettors prefer to do because you can bet a little to win a lot. Any sleepers when it comes to the World Series futures that you're looking at? Or is it really, you know, Dodgers versus the Yankees and anyone else that sneaks in there uh, that has to be real lucky to do so? Yeah, my top two, my top two over futures, you know, I, I like the Yankees over 95 and a half. And sometimes you say, well, you have the second highest number and you have 95 wins. And sometimes you just got to say, you know what? Uh, they may have not put them high enough when you have Domingo Romain, a guy who's, what, 18 and four with a 1.1 whip as your fifth starter. Guess what? You're going to win a lot of games. Uh, they're not really a surprise, Teddy, but I would say the Washington Nationals. 84 and a half is their win total. They're, they're a team that I like when you put that rotation in into play. Uh, Scherzer, Strasburger, and Corman, and then you add John Lester. Yeah, Lester may not have been a number one, but when he's a number four guy pitching between these guys, and, you know, Brad Hand didn't do much with the Indians, but I think he can live off the starting pitching that's on that team. Again, the Nationals are somewhat of a chalk as well, but uh, I basically do this. I don't do any baseball futures, as you said. We know that the market is slanted. The payouts aren't nearly what they should be for a future. But I am not afraid to, after a team starts off a season hot after two or three weeks, and they have a couple players exceeding expectations, they have a few veterans that I like, they go at least three deep in their starting roster, I'm not opposed to taking a flyer mid-April after I've seen the teams, because the odds don't shift, really. We don't see one of those teams drop significantly unless they go on an 18-2 and run to start the season. But if a team I like is in that 500 market, I think they're going to continue to improve. That's when I look to take my flyer a few weeks or even a month into the season. I want to ask you about one team in, uh, specifically because, boy, this team's gotten a, as much buzz as I've seen a team get uh, in MLB preseason here in Las Vegas. The Chicago White Sox. Everybody that I've talked to, all the advanced metric guys, all the baseball guys, hey, watch out for the White Sox. This is Chicago's year. Watch out for, the, you know. Are you buying that? And obviously they just suffered a major injury uh, in a preseason. Um, are you a buy or sell uh, on the Chai Sox? I am not a buyer. You know, I, I still think Minnesota's, I still think Minnesota's the best team. Um, you know, obviously with Keuchel and Lynn coming out with Lynn being there and Rondona as a, as a fourth or fifth starter with, with Giolito on the top, certainly I look at, at that as an exciting team, but, you know, following what, what I've seen for so many times, when someone becomes a media darling, like the Browns two years ago and the Giants the, and San Fran 49ers three years ago and, and certain baseball teams, the Padres last year, you're usually a year away. The Sharps are looking at a team because they're so excited with a lot of young players moving forward. I, I usually think that when I see that type of excitement, uh, they're going to be a decent story and they're ready to pounce on the next season. So I am not 
as high on them as uh, many of our cohorts are. Yeah, I've heard uh, a team with a lot of buzz here in town. Let me ask you this, Ralph. Basic MLB betting strategy. Recreational players just starting to bet baseball. What would you tell them? Well, you look at, uh, yeah, again, I'm a real numbers-oriented person, and, and you look at the best team in the league winning 100 games out of 160, which means that the worst team is, might, might be only losing 100 out of 160. People, people look at a team and they put too much credence on the favorite, and because Vegas makes them a favorite, they think they're the better team. Look at current form. I love playing top ace pitchers off a of bad performance. Uh, I am more of a totals player than I am a side player in Major League Baseball because the hot and coldness of a team's batting average through a lineup, I think, it becomes becomes a series-type streak, either good or bad. So I am much more of a basic lineup matchup hitter I do look at lefties and righties because certain teams perform so much better. And I look at baseball teams going into series, looking for two teams with offenses going well, two two offenses going poorly, and then match them up with the pitchers and look for totals plays with that regard. And to me, totals, uh, I I play more, generally play more totals in baseball than I do size. That's the only sport I do it in. Why? Because one game's total legitimately affects the next game. And you get these incredible streaks. A hot lineup and a worn-down bullpen one day or a hot lineup and a worn-down bullpen the next day until proven otherwise. And those are teams, when they're hitting and their bullpen's not getting outs, you just play them over. And you play them over again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And you can ride some incredible streaks. Similarly, an ice-cold lineup and a bullpen that's getting outs well, let's see. The pitching staff's good. They're going to stay rested, and the bullpen's going to stay effective. And lineup's not hitting. Well, they're not hitting until proven otherwise. So when you find teams that have a cold lineup and that have the pitching that's been able to keep them in games, those can be unders. Uh, under teams for, again, not just one or two games. You can ride these teams for weeks at a time. And when a team wins 10 games in a row, it's the lead story on SportsCenter. Even the worst team in the league. They win 10 games in a row. That becomes, they get to attract an extraordinary amount of betting attention. When a team goes under or over 10 games in a row, nobody notices except us, Ralph. <laughs> That's why, uh, I mean, it really is one of these deals where, yeah, they're kind of paying attention, but they're not paying attention to the total marketplace at the same level that betters are. And that really gives us an edge when it comes to riding some of these total streaks. Agree? You know, absolutely, Teddy. One that, you know, I'm going to mention is uh, I'm going to take that one step further. And when you're talking about an offense and you're keeping and you're paying attention of streaks, overs and unders, do divide them on home and road. That's in uh, stadium-friendly seating. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay finished last year four overs and 15 unders on the road. They were a team that had great pitching. They were a team that didn't score much on the road. So much like we've seen the Pelicans in the NBA on an over streak and other teams in the NBA on under streaks, the same does hold true with baseball. So when I, when I'm dividing my streaks and as you guys know, at wager talk, I do a daily newsletter called the first pitch. I break out 
home and away performances so you can easily see not only their over-under numbers, but look at what the average line is and look at what the margin of the over is. If a team is 5-0 and to the over going over by one run, there's some luck involved there. If a team is 5-0 and to the over going over by a combined three and a half runs per game, those are teams that are playing much more successful. So an over-under number can be deceiving as well, but when you add the margin to it, you are getting the true ability of that team and what they've done. We've got more with Mal, Ralph Michaels coming up after the break. It's TNA time. We're going to talk Sweet 16. We're going to talk Elite Eight. I'm going to talk the angle about beating a number one seed that you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. This is the 13th day of waiting. The second long weekend. These liberties you take. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And it's time for some serious TNA with Ralph Michaels. Ralph, trends and angles from your database for the Sweet 16 round. Knock yourself out. What do we got to watch out for? Well, the Sweet 16 historically has been a chalk round. The favorites have had a week off. There have been some close calls in the first round, but I will mention in the past two Sweet 16 rounds, the dogs have gone 11-5 and five against the spread. That holds true with what's happened so far. The dogs this March Madness, 32-19, and 19, 62.7%. And we've gone 59% to the under with 21 overs and 30 unders. I will say this, though, traditionally with quotation marks rounds one and rounds three have leaned to the under with more games going over the total rounds two and four why has that happened well in the past in a normal traditional march madness setting you played games one and two in the same venue and then you played games three and four in the same venue that's not the case this year only one team of the sweet 16 teams that's arkansas played in the same venue games one and two, but there are five teams that played at Hinkle or Bankers in their last game, and they're playing them again. Baylor, Loyola, Gonzaga, Creighton, excuse me, four teams are playing in the same venue for the second straight game. So let's see if that gives those teams an advantage. So some of the trends that I saw you talk about earlier in the week, you talk about number one seeds have been real good this week, 13-5-1 against the spread. Number four seeds, a disaster. Only two point spread covers in their last 13 tries. The bigger favorites have struggled. Favorites of 11 or more, just 3-11 and 11 ATS. Teams off back-to-back wins as an underdog. 48 and 34. The upstarts continue to cover numbers, 59%. And even back to back wins as a big dog, say plus eight or higher, even those have been profitable, eight and six ATS. 
Any of those trends stand out to you as ones we want to pay extra attention to this coming weekend? Teddy, while I love giving trends and the fans love the trends and the listeners love the trends, I really don't take them to heart when I'm handicapping my games. I'll look if there's a trend happening for that current team that's playing, but for the most part, uh, I probably only use trends. I do use trends in football when we're talking home favorites, away dogs. I use them in college basketball when I'm looking at conference games in certain situations and certain point spreads. But this is so unique that I really don't. I am more of a matchup handicapper looking at situations and looking at head coaches. So there's none of those that do jump out to me where it causes me to, to make a play or takes me off a play. The one interesting one that I lean the opposite way, teams that are playing in the same conference in the Sweet 16 round, the dog has gone five and one the last three years. That, of course, USC and uh, Oregon. And they've gone nine and one over under the last five years. So the last 10 times that conference teams have played in the Sweet 16 round, 90% to the over. So there are three number one seeds still standing. Michigan, Gonzaga, Baylor. Odds are there's a decent chance one of those teams is going to get up, upset this week. And there's a decent chance uh, one of those teams gets upset here in the round uh, of 16. What do we do if we see an upset of one of those number one seeds in the round of 16? What do we do with that team that pulled off the upset in the Elite Eight? Boy, this is from my friend and your good friend, Mark Lawrence, and his Playbook newsletter. I talked to Mark often, uh, and he allowed us to use this stat. It was just eye-opening. In, since 1996, in the Sweet 16 round, if you knock off the number one seed in the Elite, elite Eight round, you have gone 14-0 and against the spread. So I think that's just, we overreact. Oh, they knocked off a number one seed. They're due to let down. But these teams, when we get to this point, remember, you've had the whole week to prep for this number one team, and that means you're playing darn good basketball when it gets to this point. So if you pull the upset against the number one seed this Saturday or Sunday, since 1996, you've gone 14-0 against the spread on that Monday or Tuesday game. Yeah, so watch out if you see Villanova or Creighton or Florida State still standing in the brackets. On Monday morning, those are teams you might want to ride in the Elite Eight if you want to follow this 100% perfect angle that dates back to the 1990s. All right, so in hour number one, I broke down all four Saturday games, Sweet 16 games with Dave Sherapin. We have here about, what, eight minutes, and we got four games to get through for Sunday. Let's start with the Zags and the Blue Jays, Gonzaga and Creighton. I stepped in front of Gonzaga last week with a play on Oklahoma. And boy, the last two minutes of that game made me want to rip my hair out. Um, not an enjoyable experience. <laughs> Can I step in front of the Zags? Should I step in front of the Zags this time around? I played on the Zags against Oklahoma, Teddy, but I played on them in the first half, and they won comfortably. They had a 12-point lead, and for the most part, it looked like Oklahoma was going to fight back and perhaps cover that game. So it was a brutal loss for Sooners backers. I expect the same thing of the Zags this week. I like them in the first half. 
I look at Gonzaga. They are so prepared. You have an elite five-star point guard. You are so well coached. And when you match up against Creighton, what are Creighton's strengths? Point guard and center. Guess what? Those are the Zag strengths, except they have so many more people to do it. They are such a focused, mentally tough, mentally prepared team that I like them in the first half again. I am happy to lay the seven and a half. Yes, we know Creighton's going to fight back. Creighton's going to give them a strong second half. While I have no opinion in the game, I did get to the window betting Gonzaga minus that seven and a half for the first 20 minutes. Now, normally when I break down games, I go in rotation order. But for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to go in time order of when they tip off. That way, if you're listening on the podcast, you can just fast forward to where you want to be. <laughs> so the next game that tips off on Sunday after Creighton-Gonzaga will be Florida State and Michigan. And I'll tell you what, talking to people around Vegas this week, I haven't found anybody that likes the Wolverines. Looks to me like all the pros are on Florida State plus the points. Add me to that list. Uh, you, you look at what Michigan's done, and since they've lost Livers, they are just a different team. Uh, they don't have that same defense mentality. They haven't been tested playing Ohio State, Maryland, and their two tournament games. And now you could say Florida State has certainly been a down, you know, a, a down season for the ACC, and they haven't been tested nearly as much. But I love their elite defense. I love their length. I love the depth they have. Hamilton's been here three straight times to the Sweet 16 round. And Michigan scored 82 and 86 points. So you may say to me, well, look, their offense can be productive. Well, those came against Texas Southern and an LSU Tigers team that has Ken Palm's number 124 defensive efficiency. Michigan absolutely needs Hunter Dickinson to be very productive to win. Well, guess what? Florida State, one of the tallest teams with multiple bigs to be very physical against Dickinson, to be able to pound against them, perhaps to get him in several offensive fouls. And where the Seminoles do struggle is when they turn the ball over. They are not a very uh, apt team at keeping a clean point guard and shooting guard perspective. So they are in multiple double-digit turnover situations often. That's not a concern. Michigan only number 300. There's only 347 teams that played college basketball this year. Michigan number 300 in defensive turnovers. I think Florida State does win this game. Would you take them plus the points or would you take them on the money line? I did both. Uh, I, I took the two and a half because this is a March Madness situation. And, you know, we get down to that final minute. We've seen some incredible things happen. So I actually did split the wager between the two. So if uh, so, if Florida State covers the two and a half, but doesn't win, you end up uh, breaking even on the game. I do. I I did push the game. I I I thought it was a situation where you know I'm getting two and a half, and I I would hate to cover the game to try to get greedy. You know, there's times where you think there's value and you want to play a game, and there's times you could just outright greedy where you have the better team. Perhaps something happened where a player gets hurt. Remember, these are still 18 and 19 year old kids, and if and if Florida State misses a player early in the game, that costs them a couple points. Misses a free throw late. I don't want a quality handicap go out the window, losing money, breaking even. I can handle losing money by making a poor betting decision is the wrong way to go. Just a couple minutes left here with Ralph Michaels and Ralph. Before we get into UCLA, Alabama, and Oregon, USC. I want to give you a chance to promote yourself, promote your Twitter handle, Twitter handle, 
and let people out there know uh, what you have going on. Well, it's been a great March Madness on a 14-3 and three March Madness run. Uh, you can check out Wager Talk. I actually have a package up at Wager Talk for both Saturday and Sunday. Uh, two for one, $39, both days, including a 5%. Twitter at CalSportsLV, and I love giving out free information. Daily on my webpage, uh, RM. I do an NBA stat sheet, which is two days of NBA information, and I'll be doing a Major League Baseball newsletter free, two full pages on every game, every day. It's something, if you're playing baseball, you will want to check out. Yeah, no doubt. All right. We got two minutes and we got two games. UCLA, Alabama, Oregon, USC. The Pac-12 has been my nightmare this postseason. Go to town with these two ball games and do it quickly, please. Oregon, USC, my concern is size. You have the Mobley brothers. One of them didn't play in that Oregon game. USC very motivated. They felt the Pac-12 cheated them with Oregon's limited schedule, giving them the division title. Eileen, USC. Second game I do like. I do like Alabama. We have a team number 11 in tempo against a team number 337 in tempo. Bama is used to playing this way since Oates arrived from Buffalo last year. The Tide had a walkover against Maryland, leading by 23 points. Their top players only played 32 minutes. Alabama 23-3 and their last 26 games. Losses only to Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. The playing game comes to effect for UCLA. Remember, they played last week, midweek, against Michigan State in overtime. They're a slow-paced team. They're not controlled with this tempo, playing a fourth game in 11 days. They rely heavily on four starters. I think those starters get tired in the second half. And how about this? The Bruins have not played a Ken Palm top 25 team all season until Sunday at 7.15 p.m. Eastern. Of course, Ken Palm hasn't properly ranked the Oregon State Beavers in their current level of play. If you look at Oregon State over the last couple of weeks, they're a top 25 team, but their season-long stats won't show it. Great stuff from Ralph Michaels. Really informative segments, tons of good info. It's a pretty sharp opinion. Ralph, thanks again for joining us here on Cover. Teddy, always a blast. You do a great job on the show. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure's all mine, my friend. When we come back, it's home stretch time. Stay tuned. Cover it continues. Sirius XM Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. And boy, we've had a loaded show. I do want to thank Ralph Michaels. I want to thank Dave Sheriff. And I want to thank you, my listening audience, for taking time out of your day to hang out with me on the Sports Grid Radio Network. And in these final couple of minutes, yeah, we got to talk a little bit NBA trading deadline. There were two deals that moved the needle for me. Absolutely. The first, Denver Nuggets got a lot better with Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon was the piece they needed. That will help them. And you look at the Western Conference, that all of a sudden the Lakers look vulnerable. The Clippers still haven't put it all together. There's room for a Denver or a Portland or a Phoenix 
come out of the West. I thought the Nuggets made a great move picking up Aaron Gordon, perhaps the most impactful move at the trading deadline. Although the Clips picking up Rajon Rondo is right there with them. You know, L.A. needs a veteran leader that can look everyone in the eye and say, do this, do that, play harder. Rondo does that. <laughs> it's a, it's a high-risk, high-reward move. Sometimes Rondo fits into his situation. Other times he doesn't. If he fits in in L.A., he made them a whole lot better. And, of course, Vujovic going to Chicago is certainly a move that stands out. The Bulls, well, they're five games under 500 <laughs> after the deal. They're trading away future number ones. I get you want Zach Levine to stay in town. If I'm a Bulls fan, I want Zach Levine to stay in town. I want to build a team around him. And when you bring in talented players around him, it makes him more likely to stay. But whew, Chicago played a, paid a steep price to get a very good center. But I'm not convinced that that move is a winning move for the Bulls long term. I'm not convinced it makes them championship contenders down the road. So there's a little NBA trade deadline thoughts, a little MLB preseason thoughts, a little Elite Eight and Sweet 16 thoughts, and a little bit of general sports betting thoughts. That's what you're going to get every week on Cover It. We'll hope to see you next Saturday right here. Same bad time, same bad channel. Sirius XM channel 204. Thank you so much. Good luck today. Enjoy the games. We'll talk again next week when Cover It continues. Ciao for now.